Okay, folks, we are back. Brennan Fitz Podcast, welcome back to it. And as always, appreciate you guys hitting play. Uh, I'm Brennan Fitzgerald, of course. This is on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. And uh, I have a clips playlist on my YouTube channel as well. Um, appreciate the subscribers there and the views there. And, uh, you know, got the camera. So to see the, uh, the the talking head that I am in my office, back home in my office last week, of course, I came to you on uh, Sunday night from a residence in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Talked to Holly home the next day. I uh, had some flight issues, so I uh, got stranded a bit in the Albuquerque Sunport. They don't call it an airport. They call it a Sunport. Um, but then back for uh, some fight week activities this week. Uh, Going to get to maybe some listener questions over the next little bit. 30 to 40 minutes here. I, I went a little bit long last week. I went like 50 plus and uh, feel like I was rambling a little bit, which is one of the reasons why I started doing this podcast again and made it a solo project is... Uh, I could be a little more articulate in complete storytelling about uh, what we all love, which is, uh, of course, mixed martial arts, the UFC. That's my day job. And then uh, this podcast gives me the freedom to kind of go wherever I want with it. I'm going to get into kind of respect, uh, a, a newfound respect for a different role in the broadcast industry specific to UFC based on what I did on Saturday night. If you're on Facebook and you follow the UFC, you may have seen me. I did quick hits. Um, which has been a show that they launched last summer. Did they do it? Laura Sanko is is the main kind of host for it, and they've done it for pay-per-views. Um, but they gave me a go at it uh, this past week at the Apex. So I uh, did some hits, and I'll talk about that. Uh, as I said, listener questions. But first, I start with the main event from Saturday night. Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker. Bravo, gentlemen. Five claps, one for each round of five minutes of fury. They go 25 minutes. Dustin Poirier gets the victory, and uh, he does it by unanimous decision. Uh, what a fight. I mean, what can you say about it? And and I'll get into it a bit later in terms of the social media reporting, but when you're backstage and you have other duties on fight night other than calling the fights or hosting the post-fight show, which I've done both of those jobs, but I've never done the backstage thing. So the fight starts... And then I had to interview Mike Perry for our social media hits. Uh, so I missed like the first round and a half. I know that the second round was crazy, but it was like, you know, the first minute or so I kind of saw feeling each other out and whatever. And then uh, the next time I laid eyes on it, all their faces were dripping in blood. And it was only the second round. I was like, man, what happened? I hope it uh, I hope I get my fill of, of how it keeps going. And boy, did I. Um and uh, third round, I thought, was big for Poirier. And then fourth round and fifth round, I think that's when kind of Dustin showed his true medal as one of the best. The, the reason why he was the interim champion, the reason why he uh, fought in a UFC title fight in Abu Dhabi and headlined a show against Habib Nurmagomedov, uh, for, for Poirier to be down on the ground and on his back, and it's one of those things where um, I obviously haven't felt it to that level and stuff, but just when you're training, if you're down there and you're gassed, I, I can only imagine the, the effort it takes 
to get up because I think so many times we watch fights and when a guy is in a position like that late in a round or late in the fight, they just try to make it happen off of their back, right? If you're watching the prelims or or some other fighters um, on the main card but not quite headliners, like you saw the difference. You saw the difference in what it takes to be at the very top level in terms of cardio, in terms of skill, ability, the desire to get after it late in those rounds because a lot of guys I think or girls will will settle for full guard right how many times do we see fighters sink back into full guard and then just try to play their guard and see if they can they can throw up a triangle or an armbar make something happen or get the fighter off of them before they try to scramble to their feet and again I'm a novice on this but as a viewer you can still see the difference even if you're not into MMA in terms of being a fighter, you can see the difference at the very top of what Dustin Poirier showed in terms of not his ability to get up when the opportunity was there, but in like the fourth and fifth round to make the opportunity for himself when he had to be spent physically or next to exhausted. And then at the end of the fight, he's still bouncing around and kind of uh, given Hooker a, a dap, and, and there go forehead to forehead. So just uh, a phenomenal fight. On the other side for Dan Hooker, Justin Gaethje said it best on Twitter. He said, Dan Hooker definitely uh, has a seat at the big boy table. And I think, uh, how can you deny him? Uh, goes five rounds with Paul Felder, fight of the year candidate. Dustin Poirier, five rounds with him, fight of the year candidate. And if the second round, I think it was the second round, because again, it's I haven't watched it back again, but I want to say... If there's 10 seconds left, if there's an extra 10, 20 seconds in that second round, Hooker's ending that fight. Was that the end of the second round or the third round? When he's just piecing him up along the fence and, and Poirier's kind of covering up. And I think Poirier knew it was short time, so he was content to just get out of that round. But then there was a knee late, too. Was that the end of the second or the third? I'm not sure, but, but Hooker was close to finishing that fight. When it didn't end there... Um, uh, the person who I was watching it with in the back with me, I said, she was like, what do you think? Um, like, what do you think of this fight? Who, who's going to win or how's it going? And I thought uh, Poirier would finish him in the fourth because I remembered back to when Poirier beat Justin Gaethje and it was like a slugfest back and forth. And Poirier, uh, he has that composure in him. He has all the skills in the world. He is super sharp. And then he has the composure. He'll stay in the fight. And, uh, you know, sure enough, it was looking like uh, a finish was close on the other side for Poirier in uh, in the fourth round there, man. He, he had Hooker down. He was kind of uh, ground and pound and, you know, it was close to being over, but props to both of those guys. Now it's my job, as I told uh, my friend uh, Dan at Best Fight Picks, he says, end the debate. I'll take a listener question early. End the debate for us, Brendan. Poirier or Hooker or Wei Li Zhang? Zhang Weili and Joanna for current fight of the year leader. So I, so I took that task on. Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker just gave us the fight of the year so far in 2020. It's the fight of the year, in my opinion. They set the record for total strikes in a lightweight fight. And I said last week after uh, Shane Burgos and Josh Emmett went at it for 15 minutes, um, certainly among the candidates for fight of the year in the featherweight division. Uh, it was the co-main event. It lived up to the hype. But I said, you got to pull back on it because Zhang Weili and Joanna was for a belt. They went five full rounds. It was an incredible fight. And if we're going to call that the best uh, female fight in UFC history, 
then that needs to be the fight of the year until something else historic happens. And um, Poirier and Hooker going five rounds in what, in my opinion, is the UFC's best division, especially when you get to the top. I mean, when you get to the top 10 of the lightweight division and then into that like top five, top three, those, to me, personify just the biggest stars in the sport, the athleticism is uh, is next level, and so you put top ranked lightweights on display. I mean, look what happened when Gaethje and Ferguson go at it. Um, when those big names are at the top of the bill, it always seems to live up to the hype, and it did so again. And it was historic. It was the third most significant strikes landed in a lightweight bout, and it was the most total strikes landed combined in a lightweight bout so if you're going to tell me that in the ufc's best division we just saw five rounds and we saw the most total strikes landed in that division uh with 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 two of the best in the world i think you put it up there the other thing that separates it to me just by a smidge because zhang weili and joanna they still might get the fight of the year when it comes to ufc honors i did that show back in january um it's, it was new last year. It was the inaugural year where Dana kind of picks some of the some of the end of the year awards. They still might get it, but but to me, I go Poirier and Hooker. Recency bias aside, the other thing I'll say is that five rounds. I'd have to go back and watch Zhang Weili and Joanna again, but my recollection of that fight was just that it was amazing. They were throwing down. Uh, there were heads kind of snapping to the side and, and back. But it didn't give you that sweaty palm feeling of this fight could be finished at any second. You know what I mean? They were standing back. They were striking. Not much of it took place on the ground. It was an incredible fight, and it was a split decision. It was an argument either way on who you, uh, on who you say won that night. Zhang Weili defends her belt. Joanna wanted it back, didn't get it back. Uh, we'll probably see the rematch of that at some point, I would think. But... Um, think about Poirier taking down Hooker. Uh, there were submission attempts on each side. Hooker had his career best in a UFC fight takedowns. I think he landed four. So you had like those MMA scrambles. You had submission attempts. Uh, you had Hooker chasing a guillotine at some times. You had Poirier trying to jump guard and, and get into a guillotine and, and Hooker was able to take his head out. You had takedowns on each side. You had the head snap back. You had the sharp striking on each side. You nearly had finishes for either guy that were coming. At the end of rounds, they were going all the way till the end. So that's why I say fight of the year, Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker. Number two, Zhang Weili beats Joanna Janjacek to retain the belt. Number three, Felder, hooker back and forth 25 minutes split decision uh so emotional when when buffer was just reading those scorecards back in february where they're just kind of like hoping um that's high drama right there and then i'll put number four i'll put josh emmett and shane burgos that's my top top four for now nothing jumps off my head right now as, as far as maybe the fifth uh for top five fights of the year but that's what i'll go with for my top four for fights of the year as uh, we hit the halfway point, really, right? We're coming to the end of June. On the clock is Fight Island, July 11th. So uh, that is what's next. And how, you know, July 4th is one of my favorite holidays. But, uh, man, how much is going to suck? We just had five for five 
uh, in terms of UFC events and great fights. And I want to say something else about Dustin Poirier. I really respect him as a fighter, uh, even more as a human being for what he's doing, right? The Good Fight Foundation that he started with his wife a couple of years ago. And what I love about Dustin Poirier is that it proves that it's not just the trash talkers and the clowns and the characters and the shtick that work. Like, MMA has a bit of of a pro wrestling feel to it in terms of the drama, in terms of the presentation of how some of these fighters handle it, right? Henry Cejudo, the king of cringe, is, is kind of the, the prime example that jumps off the top of the page, along with Colby Covington. And then McGregor has his has his uh, bravado and his swagger, and that's like him, and it's a caricature of him, and it's worked out for him. And I think a lot of guys get stuck because they don't want to be that. They don't want to put themselves out there and be that, but at the same time, they do want to cut through and become a bigger star because that's how you get more fans, get more money, get more attention, and get more, you, you know... Um, you know, it's a, the road to the top is quicker. The, the personality matters for something. It's why it's what completes Darren Till in terms of why he was a contender at 170, why he's an immediate contender at 185. Like, yes, he can fight, but also he's got this funny persona. He, he's, he's a funny guy. He's a goofy guy online. Now his Twitter account's blowing up with all his faces that he's putting on and stuff like that. It counts for that. And for Dustin Poirier, I just think it's such a great example for for everybody out there watching that you can be a fighter and you can also be that good of a person that gives back, that wants to make a difference with your platform. Um, And I think it's a great example for other fighters, man. Like he's got more than a million Instagram followers. He's auctioning off each fight kit that he wears to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars every time out for his charity. And, and you can go to his charity page's website and it's like, this month they're buying car seats for people that need car seats in Lafayette, Louisiana. I mean, you talk about making a real change. Um, and again, a lot of fighters maybe, you know, they're like, oh, I don't have that platform yet. But it's like, start small, man, but, but be who you are. And that doesn't mean you have to talk trash and you have to be a caricature and you have to be a comedian and all that other stuff. Be you, but put yourself out there in terms of what really matters to you. And that's something that I've tried to figure out too in terms of, you know, an Instagram following or, or being a front-facing employee. And it's just like, yeah, I don't want to take pictures of myself working out. You know, I, I don't want to take pictures of myself lifting weights and all that stuff. But health and and, uh, and fitness and and treating your body the right way, kind of, you know, that's important to me, but I'm still trying to figure out like, well, how do I make a difference with it? And, you know, with Dustin Poirier, such a shining example of whatever your platform is, use it for good to help other people. And honestly, I've thought of that in terms of this podcast is, uh, you know, if it's ever in the position to generate revenue, I think uh, I'll definitely go in a direction of trying to make a difference and uh, finding some charities that I really believe in. So that comes with time, that comes with effort in terms of just doing this show over and over again and obviously the show will get bigger and then you know youtube is what it is in terms of what it can be for revenue and sponsors but just know out there that that's uh in my long-term uh plans in terms of you know whatever everybody wants to sell t-shirts and and get sponsors and line their pockets a little bit and certainly that's uh you know part of of a bigger thing for me in terms of you know just a different revenue stream and career path but also 
what can I do to, to help things? What can I do to give back? So I just wanted to say that about Dustin Poirier. Great fight card, man. Let's, uh, I want to say something about Julian Arosa before it gets lost in the weeds and we're on to Fight Island and three title fights and Benavidez Figueredo too. And this sport, man, the, the way that this sport works is it creates a lot of moments within one sporting event production, right? There were 10 fights last night. You know, there's anywhere from 10 to 13, sometimes 14 fights. That means there's 14 winners, you know? That means there's 10 to 14 winners. And uh, obviously, they give out the bonuses, and and you have your shine, and you have your extra uh, $50,000 in your pocket if you're walking away. But uh, Julian Arosa, man, you could make a movie, I feel like, with the journey that this guy's had. And it hasn't been, you know, I don't, I don't know him super well. It's not like, I don't know it to be this super emotional story. I'm, I'm sure there's way more to it than I'm even thinking of it. But on the surface, he was in the Ultimate Fighter house. Uh, he lost to Artem Lobov the season that he was at the Ultimate Fighter. And, you know, to just keep at it, right? Then he was on Dana White's contender series i think it was season two he was on dana white's tuesday night contender series and he was the underdog this is back june 2018 he was the underdog against jamal emmers big time prospect jamal emmers who has eventually made it to the ufc since then but he scores not just a win but a round uh, round two tko started with a head kick ground and pounded him it was a, a huge win for him didn't get the contract that night few months later, he stayed ready. He took a short notice fight up a weight class against Devontae Smith. Doesn't go his way. He has two more fights in the UFC. They don't go his way. So then his second stint in the UFC, he gets it. And he goes 0-3. So what does he do? He he stays at it. He's at Extreme Couture in Las Vegas. I've seen him when I go in for jujitsu class. And I'm like, hey, Julian, what's going on? I always just kind of say hi and give him, give him a wave. And I'd just be like, man, this kid's still grinding, dude. He's 30 years old. He's still grinding. The dream's still alive. And it's like, you know, fighters aren't, you know, they're not dumb. They know if they get a shot in the UFC and it doesn't happen, the odds are long. You get two shots in the UFC and it doesn't happen, the odds are even longer. And he continued to stay ready. He fought and he won in February, got a round one submission. And then he takes on Sean Woodson, an undefeated prospect who's six foot three, 145 pounds, which is an absolute insane body and he's a really good boxer and Arosa's got some dog in him man he was hanging in the pocket and he understood he'd have to get hit and hit a lot to get inside where he needed to be and uh man just just hats off to him for doing that 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 is such a big win for him to come back to the UFC on short notice like that get the victory by finish in the third round gets the bonus an extra 50k uh, so hats off to Julian Arosa. I, I'm calling him the unsung hero uh, in a great night of fights. Uh, obviously, Maurice Green made some headlines with how emotional he was. He says he's moving his family to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, he's a personality, so good to see him back in the win column. Mike Perry, too. Um, <laughs> so some some questions were like, Mike Perry, talk about Mike Perry and his comments on taxes. It's from Chandler McKenzie. You know, Mike Perry... Um, like, you got to applaud Mike Perry for what he is. Like, you know, usually to get the kind of attention that 
Mike Perry has, a guy like that has, you need to be like in the top 15 consistently, top 10, top five, like he's he's a title challenger in the future or or he fought for a title in the past or he had this long win streak. And Perry's just like that every man fighter, you know, like he's just that guy. I, I mean, he, he certainly is a quirky individual. He's got the tattoo on his eyebrow. Um, but I, you got to just like love it what he's doing and like making the most of, of the platform that he has. There's a lot of fighters that would fizzle out if they had, you, you know, uh, the career of Mike Perry in terms of win one, lose one, whatever. But Perry, man, he's great at stare downs all the time. He's, he's great in interviews. He, he's a funny guy. And then he brings his girlfriend to his corner and nobody else. And uh, I, it, it starts an interesting conversation, right? Like it just starts a conversation where, Perry's saying coaches in the corner are yelling at me to do this and do this and do this, but they haven't done it. You know, it goes back to when I talked to Safe Saud on episode three of this podcast. He's just like, you don't have to be a fighter to be a coach, but I think it helps a hell of a lot. You know, it's tough to sit in that corner and tell him you need to do this. You need to do this if you hadn't been there before. And, uh, you know, it sounded like Perry was alluding to that where he was disagreeing with some of the coaching that he got in the past. Um, and so he'll look for a new team. Said he wants to train for Yoel Romero. Dean Thomas uh, tweeted him and said, uh, I got a room for you down here in Florida. Of course, uh, Perry spent a lot of his life growing up in Florida. So, um, you know, so so good for him to look really as good as he did, too. I mean, Mickey Gall is, you know, kind of this prospect, 6-2. and two, uh, And he just outmatched him, man. He, he was good on the ground. He was clearly stronger than him little bit shorter than him but uh didn't seem to matter just seemed to seemed to big brother him a little bit in terms of the strength um but uh, i thought mickey gall made a made a good account of himself considering that perry was a sizable favorite i think perry was like minus 240 in that fight um so anyways so that's that all right on the backstage reporting i'm, I'm gonna pull the curtain back because um you know what i've noticed is there's a couple of podcasts out there um related to tv shows that are just legendary right so I don't know if you've heard of the office ladies, but, uh, so it's Pam Beasley and Angela, uh, Jenna Fisher, of course. I don't know. I know Angela's real name in the show was Angela and her real name is Angela. But anyways, they have this massively popular podcast and all they do is they go over old episodes of the office. And of course the office lives forever. I'm actually, I still watch it uh, very regularly. And, um, so they just kind of go over these stories and then it's fun because you can watch it back. And then I just noticed the Sopranos has one. It's called Talkin' Sopranos and it's uh, Michael Imperioli, I think his name is. And then I can't remember what Bobby Bacala's real name is, but it's those two actors, the guys who play Moltisanti and Bobby Bacala. And they have a podcast called Talkin' Sopranos and they have their guests on that are uh, like characters in the show and they go over episodes and stuff. And, uh, it's just kind of cool for people that love those shows to get insider stories. So I was just like, you know, that could be something I do on this podcast is like, you know, I'm not going to pull the curtain all the way back because, uh, you know, but, but the behind the scenes aspect of television and sports television is something that people like. And certainly UFC fans, I get asked about it all the time. Um, just like, what's it, you know, I think a lot of people are curious. They hear the TV truck, but what's it like? They hear like, you know, uh, they just want to know kind of how the sausage is made a little bit. And it's a fun process. So I did the social media, as I said before, I did the social media uh, backstage reporting called Quick Hits on Facebook. And basically what it was, I can't remember how many hits we did last night. We did three to start the night. And then we did winter interviews with, I want to say, 
four or five people. Unfortunately, couldn't get uh, Poirier because he had to go to the hospital and uh, some other fighters where, you know, if they have to be transported to the hospital, um, you know, they don't do as much media as they would. They just do the post-fight interview on the broadcast and then they kind of get their medical needs taken care of instead of talking to Megan O'Levy or whoever the backstage reporter is or social media or being brought out to the media tent to talk to uh, press conference style to all the reporters that are there. But um, so, yeah, so I did a hit with uh, Yanni the Greek, who is, of course, on the line. That's our gambling show on UFC Fight Pass. Did a hit with him early in the night. That got like hundreds of thousands, you know, 100,000 plus views in no time. Yanni's like, yeah, people love free gambling advice. And I think he did well. Who did he give out? Uh, He didn't hit on Luis Pena. He hit on Maurice Green and Maurice Green inside the distance. He hit on Mike Perry, not inside the distance. He liked Dustin Poirier, even up to minus 250, uh, which some people were surprised that Poirier was that big of a favorite. But... um, Anyway, so Yanni the Greek talked to Macy Barber uh, and then talked to Alexander Volkanovsky as he gets ready for his thing. And it's so funny. It's like the the social media reporting is the glamour is is not part of it. You know, it's, it's very basic, but that's it's just interesting to me to see how far TV has come in a production from a production standpoint, but then how simple it can be at the same time. And whenever I do projects like this, like the one I'm doing right now, like I'm, I'm talking into an iPhone camera um, and I hooked up my own audio rig and I created my own little just desk studio at home um, and I want to do it. It's because I have the passion to do it and I love it so much. And I thought, man, when I was in Wyoming at my entry level job, you had to, you know, it was a one man crew. Sometimes you'd show up to an interview and people are like, where's the rest of the crew? It's just like, this is the crew. There there is no crew. When you're at this entry level stage, you set up your tripod, you put your camera on it, you press record, then you go sit down, you interview somebody. And so I've thought of this um, several times since starting this podcast, like, isn't it funny? Because when you're at that level, all you want to do is have somebody to hold the camera for you, Have have a camera person that helps you out or have a wireless microphone so you don't have to plug in cables and go all over the place. And then all these years later, you know, you know, 12, 12 years later and um, at the network level where I'm on ESPN and have all the resources for our great broadcasts and, uh, you know, top of the line production in terms of features and just everything is taken care of and makeup and suits and all that other stuff. But yet on my free time, here I am one man banding it with a, you know, not a wireless mic and an iPhone camera and that sort of thing. So I just think it's funny how. Uh, and some very popular shows are, are like that now, where it's just just hit go on it, man. It's it's about what's happening. It's about who it is. It's about what what they're talking about. Does it line up with your interests and your niche? Um, so that's the social media angle of uh, of what we did. I was talking into a camera, and you know, before it was different, and hopefully it'll get back to it sooner rather than later. Where if if there's a winner interview. I could just talk to a winner. But, of course, we have to do it socially distanced. So I'm in this little section of the back of the warehouse of the Apex, and the fighters are elsewhere on, uh, you know, a different camera in a different section. And Megan O'Levy has to do her interviews like that where she's sitting here and somebody else is sitting here, and there's a couple of cameras in the middle, and they have headsets. So it's like they could yell to each other, but, uh, you know, it has to be that double box thing like you see on the broadcast when – when Anik or, or Rogan or, or Paul Felder a couple of weeks ago when I was on the call with them. 
But anyway, so it's just it's just different, man. And I have such respect now, more mm-hmm. a, a more healthy respect for what Megan O'Leavy does and Heidi Andral and Laura Sanko, that backstage reporter role. Man, that is uh that's an awkward that's a fun thing to do, but it's 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 very different. It's awkward throughout a full UFC card because they have to be in the back of the house um, in like a quiet area, right? The arena's out there. That's where usually there's a crowd, and now it's at the apex, but there's music, and, and that's where the fights are, and it's lit up. And they're backstage with the background, and uh, you know they're talking to winners as they kind of, as it sinks in, with what they just did and there's a fight going on out there and and then like you know megan last night it's like is she doing a walkout report okay she's got to go this way like and at a big arena man they log miles like i can kind of understand more from the past of when i've worked with them what they're doing throughout the night instead of just when they're octagon side with us and just like oh, megan olivi joins us for this walk megan uh so-and-so's had you know quite a training camp and then they come in with their news story it's like they do a lot of different things in a in a given night from a lot of different locations. And just being back there and having to like piece together the night, like, okay, when was that fight? And what happened? Okay, was that third round or second round? Because I missed the first round. Um, you know, it was like, like I said earlier, like I missed a round and a half of Poirier and Hooker because I was talking to Mike Perry at the time. Like just you're, you're waiting on like, are we going to get this interview or do they need to go, you know, are they... Are they in medicals or, you know, and our PR staff is amazing in terms of, of how they handle them. We have like an army of people. And it kind of makes me think, too, is like what must have been like, you know, five years ago, eight years ago, 10, 12 years ago when uh, the UFC was still kind of climbing that mountain to what it is now is like just such a major sports property and ESPN property and um, a fine tuned, well oiled machine with the staff that we have in place and all the things that we do for these fighters uh, in terms of getting the production on and the best of it. So massive respect to the uh, reporting crew. Not that I didn't already have it, but just to understand, to try to make sense of that tossed salad where, where there's, you know, 10 fights and you're figuring out who's, who's next and uh, what to talk about, where you got to go to give your report because you got to have all these ducks in a row lined up. It's just, uh, you know, it's a fun part of the business is, you know, I always knew I wanted to be in sports broadcasting, but, um, you know, I, I purposefully never held myself to one thing that I wanted to do. It wasn't like I just want to be a play-by-play announcer. You know, it's changed over the years. I wanted to be a talk radio host, which is why I'm doing this. I want to do play-by-play, which is why my main job is just so awesome. Obviously, I've had a lot of time doing studio work at local news and then at ESPNU. And now when I get to do the pre-fight and the post-fight shows, for the UFC. So there's just so many different aspects of it um, that uh, I'm just grateful to kind of keep learning and to, to work with our social media team at the UFC was awesome too. Um, what else did I have? I guess that's one more listener question that I'll, cause it's already at 30 minutes. One more listener question. If you weren't a reporter, what would you be doing? Let me get into that one. That's from uh, at MMA random. It's all these faceless accounts. Um, if I wasn't a reporter, like I always wanted to work in sports because it was, you know, it was my number one passion growing up. And, um, you know, just something where I was just like, I'm the type of person where I'm a hard worker when I want to be at something that I want to be. I'm not just one of those, like, I didn't like to do yard work and rake leaves and, and, and like, 
manual labor and, and uh, cer- certain other stuff like that. And I know there's a lot of people out there who's like, yeah, I don't like doing that either. It's, oddly enough, it's like, actually, I don't mind doing yard work now. It's kind of like, it's kind of a stress reliever. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that when I was growing up as a teenager and in my college years, you'd say, that guy's a hard worker. Because I always thought of it as stuff that was getting in the way of what I really wanted to do. Um, I was always just like, I want to be on TV as a sports broadcaster. This doesn't serve me, even though it would have, because there's life lessons and everything. But I was just like, I don't want to do that. So I'd always say sports. Um, but even thinking of sports, like if I couldn't be a broadcaster or on TV like a reporter, like what would I do in sports? Would I work in the front office of a team? You know, the other thing I was into though was music. And uh, I played drums, like, and I love the hell out of it. And I feel like, like I have good enough rhythm where it's like, I don't know. I might have been a drummer, man. I might have been, I feel like if I put everything into music, into drumming and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm not talking about I would have been this all-star drummer or whatever. But, you know, if you find the right band or if you could be a session drummer and you can go on tour with, with a band or something like that, maybe that's what I would have done. I don't know. It would have had to been something like I say it because if I couldn't perform in the way as a reporter or a broadcaster and I wasn't good enough to perform as an athlete, I still feel like I have that front facing performer type of mindset and brain. And it's it's something that I like. I'm a Leo. So I like that attention. I like that ego to be stroked as, as whatever. I, I don't, you know, the Zodiac thing is weird, but sometimes it's like you read it and you're like, huh. They kind of nailed it. So I don't know, maybe something in music, something where I'm performing in in some way, shape or form where it's like some sort of attention based job. I mean, it sounds vain, but uh, that's always kind of been my thing or what drives me. I don't back down from from public speaking and uh, I don't back down from from those like being in the spotlight type of things. And it's like I'll get nervous about it. But then when it happens, I relish it. And then when it's over, I'm buzzing off of it and I can't wait to get it back. Um, so that's what I'll give you one more. Cause I didn't really get to this before. What's next for Dustin Poirier? Is it Tony? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, Ariel Hawani tweeted it out last night, kind of right after the show. He said, what's next for Poirier? He says, how about Tony Ferguson? Who says no to that? And Poirier tweeted him back and said, dude, can you let me rest a little bit? Like I'm on my way to the hospital. Can we not book my next fight? But the fact that those two guys haven't fought yet and, uh, I forget the rankings, but I think they're two and three. Like, right, Gaethje's one. Uh, Poirier was three. Ferguson's two. Uh, Connor's four. Hooker's five. Felder's six. Yeah, man, I think that you have to do... I think that the timing lines up nicely. The fact that they fought a month apart. Uh, they're probably not... Each of them is not going to rush back into it. But they also probably understand that they need to win one more to get back to a title shot. You're looking at Tony, uh, you're looking at Habib and Gaethje um, coming up at some point, right? And the winner of that one, you know, Connor still looms. So I wonder if Connor gets his rematch with Habib. If Habib wins or Connor Gaethje, there's certainly some steam on that one, which Gaethje said, if I just beat Tony and then I beat Habib and then I beat Connor, like, how can you? So that's that's in his plans. Um for Dan Hooker, who should Dan Hooker get next? I mean, you know, Gaethje saying that Hooker belongs at the big boy table is awesome. Uh, saying that, you know, all those fights make sense for him. 
Poirier and Tony, if they fight next, whoever comes out of, uh, out of that as the winner puts themselves in the title picture. Maybe the loser of that gets Hooker. Felder's sitting there at number six. Iaquinta, I think, is still in the top ten. I think he's at nine. So it's like Felder and Iaquinta, I know, were circled because they were booked in Brooklyn before Iaquinta had to step in and fight Habib on a day's notice. I think felder Iaquinta is a fight we all want to see. That could be a main event of a fight night. Felder tweeted out last night that uh, he would come out of his retirement for uh, Poirier or Hooker. I'd come out of retirement for either of these guys. So I think that was tongue-in-cheek. I don't know how Felder's feeling. I'm working with him in August, though, and he's going to be over on Fight Island calling uh, calling the fights. Um, God, I hope he's not retired, though, because, uh, man, he's awesome to watch fight. First song I learned on the guitar from Charlie Van. Yeah, guitar's back there. You know, those are more display pieces than than um, playing them. I do play them, uh, mostly just the acoustic one. I, I just I, I know the major seven chords. I've never been a guitar whiz. Like I said, I was a drummer before anything else. First song I learned, though, is probably Running to Stand Still by U2 because it's a super easy song. It's like it's like mostly just two chords and then, then another one. I also learned Swingin' by Tom Petty, which is off of the Echo album. Uh, that was one of my early songs when I was in, was in high school. It was like late high school, and I already had drums. I just grabbed a guitar. might have been used. It's like a $100 electric guitar. Just learned, learned to play a little bit. Um, man, let's see. I think that's going to be it. Um, anything else, man? I just got to, you know, 37 minutes. Yeah, let's wrap it up. I just got to feel better about myself, man. I got to, I got to be better this week. I was, I was feeling a little soft. I was, I was a little negative this past week and, um, reading that book by Ryan holiday. I'm almost done with it. The obstacle is the way. And then I was listening on fight day. I went for a run and you can't leave the grounds of the residence in. Once you're uh, tested on Friday night and then you got to stay there, even though I live in Las Vegas, and then you can't leave the grounds of the residence in. So I wanted to go for a run outside. So I did laps around the residence in. I ran 21 laps around the residence in. It was like five plus miles. But I was listening to uh, an old episode of Joe Rogan with David Goggins on it. If you don't know who David Goggins is, he's a former Navy SEAL. He was like 300 pounds, lost over 100 pounds. He's done like all these 100 mile races. He's done like a 250 mile road race. I mean, this guy just goes out and runs a marathon for fun um he is quite the inspirational character but i was listening to an old episode of rogan with david goggins while i was listening to that and i was just like man i've been soft this week we had something uh like we're working on something at our house we had this new patio put in earlier this week or the earlier this year on the side of our house and then we put a sauna on it right so all good stuff and it's like you know and uh, the sauna needed some repairs, so we had a handyman over, and he was going to paint some of the roof of it, and he dropped a bucket of red paint on the uh, patio. I was just like, are you kidding me, bro? Like, a bucket of red paint just splattered all over this new brick patio that we put in. But anyways, he fixed it up. Props to him. He cleaned it up. Obviously, we didn't have to, like, pay for the kind of repair that he did. It was like a, it was a small job, but all is well that ends well, but I was just thinking negatively my wife was just like what is wrong you're, you're stressed out it's like all these things first world problems so i'm not going to complain about stuff man amidst this pandemic there's a lot of things that are that are going a lot worse for people right about now and uh i know it's you know it's starting to stress me out a little bit because these numbers are bouncing back and you don't know to, what to believe in terms of who to trust and what do we do next but anyways onward and upward let's all be grateful for every day we have and uh grateful that we get to 
you know, band together and go through these things and come out on the other side, hopefully stronger. And there's going to be a lot of benefits to whatever this is. There's going to be stuff that uh, happens in your life because of the current situation, because of the pandemic that'll ultimately uh, be good for us in the long run. So with that, uh, I'm at Brendan Fitz TV on Twitter and Instagram. Quick little 40 minutes here, just rambling and some behind the scenes stories. Subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever, and uh, submit a question. I think I'm going to put out an interesting uh, question next week as to your UFC fan. Like, what venue would you love the UFC to go to? It can be a real stadium, outdoor, indoor. It can be a fantasy venue, like like a Hawaiian island. I know they're doing Fight Island, but in terms of like not being in an arena or it can be at a, at a very different famous sports venue, I have a couple of ideas. But with Fight Island upon us um, the week after next, that'll be a subject for next week's podcast. So again, thanks for listening to the Brendan Fitz podcast, and I will talk to you next week. <laughs>